0: Welcome to Roots and Ruminants, your podcast for creative and innovative use of farm, pasture, and rangeland. We're going back to the basics of raising and grazing livestock, growing your own forage, and practical land use.
1: Well, folks, this is it. This is going to be episode one of Roots and Ruminants podcast. We're certainly excited to be doing this. We've been talking about it for a long time now. And we're off. And we've got probably one of the coolest uh, guests with us today, James Holtz from central Iowa, Iowa cattle feeder. Uh, I'm Justin Frickty, and, uh, along with me, uh, sidekick and co-host is the Jared knock. We're gonna have a lot of fun through this podcast. We're going to cover a lot of great, interesting topics. And, uh, like I said, we're going to get the ball rolling with one of the funnest, uh, funnest guys I know here, James Holtz. So, uh, but before we get into talking about James, Jared, uh, Talk about why we're doing this podcast and why it means so much to
0: us. So the reason we're doing this podcast, it's a way to incorporate a lot of innovative uh, systems, I would say, in livestock production today. Uh, there's a lot of things that Justin and I have seen over the last 10 years that involve really creative uses of, of cover crops, forages, perennials, native ranges, uh, trees, silvopasture, pasture. Uh, a lot of different things that are out there on the horizon that people are curious about. So we wanted to bring some of those guests to the table here. And discuss in several ways how they're making their operations more profitable, more robust, more meaningful, um, better situated for the future. All right. So James, why don't you go ahead and give a little introduction uh, about yourself and uh, where you're from and a little bit about your operation?
2: Yeah. uh, Thanks for having me. I'm James Holtz and I am from lovely Grand Junction, Iowa, vacation destination. Mm. And have you been there? It's not that. Oh, there he it is. Yeah, there's a, there's a hotel there. We have a hotel motel. Uh, one bank, one bar. Just the basic ones. Yeah. And um, I raise cattle in uh, Grand Junction. And we've been a third generation cattle feeder in uh, the area. And we're kind of doing some fun things with cattle. I've been feeding cattle my whole life. and But uh, recently came back to the farm about uh, eight years ago to take the this career path in uh in feeding cattle okay so let's step back just a second here now okay
1: and uh obviously we're going to get into the ways and methods that you're feeding cattle right now and how you're doing it and why it's unique um let's step back okay you uh you went to grand junction high yeah uh green county green county 4-h member
2: green county 4-h gosh yep
1: Okay, and then, but we got on uh, on the same path when we went to STSU. fact, yep. all three of us were there, right? Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah, I was. A, I'm an uh, STSU graduate, and uh, we met in uh, the AGR fraternity house where we had many interesting conversations of where we thought agriculture was leading us. And then we all kind of took a, a hi- hiatus, hi- hiatus, hiatus. Ha- hiatus? hiatus, 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 hiatus. Yes.
0: Hyenas aren't here, How now, brown but brown it brown. would be pretty cool if they were here. If there was hyenas at the Ajara house, I would have definitely taken one. Yes, <laughs> love, <laughs> love to take a hyena. <laughs>
2: you know, he kind of sounds he, he kind of sounds like a hyena. Yeah, you know? hyena. He there does. You go. Yeah. All right. So, uh, sorry about getting off on that tangent. And so, uh, went to SSU. Uh, got a job after SSU. Became a grain merchant for about um, five, six years, and really. Um, Enjoyed being a grain merchant and wanted to take those that, that skill set of being a grain merchant uh, back into cattle feeding. And if you know anything about um, being grain merchant or grain trading, there's a lot of arbitrage activities. And um, that's really the most fun I have in the cattle business is the arbitrage ap- opportunities that cattle feeding presents. So um, feeding cattle is, is, is a fun thing for me because there's just so many different aspects that you can tackle the um, same problem or so many different aspects you can put pounds on steers or heifers. And so there's so many different ways you can be doing it and everyone does it differently. And this one way, few ways that I'm doing it is is, is kind of working and uh, I'm kind of enjoying it. So mm.
0: let's go back eight years ago. So eight years ago when you were kind of back into the operation How different did your operation look than the average Iowa cattle feeder uh, grain farmer?
2: Our operation didn't look that much different than any um, traditional cattle feeding operation. I would say ours was just a pretty standard farmer feeder type program. Simplified
0: crop rotation, corn soybeans. Simplified
2: crop rotation, uh, corn, soybeans, a little bit of alfalfa, pretty basic by yearling uh, yearling cattle, grow them, uh, finish them, sell them to a packer.
0: Standard outdoor yards with some concrete.
2: Standard outdoor yards. Yep. Yep. No buildings, windbreaks. Okay. Tell me about the
0: first creative thing that you did where your dad looked at you and raised one eyebrow and was like, hmm, what's going on here?
2: Yeah. Probably the most creative thing I did was the, um, first. Uh, year I was back it was uh two thousand and twelve and it was a drought year, and we didn't have any crop at all and uh real you know we were chopping silage in the middle of august and uh I bought a um a parker wagon load of oats from the local co-op and um I had an old drill that really wasn't working that good, and we just chopped in we just chopped an eighty. And I took that drill and I first, I loaded it with a skid loader, which dad thought that was the coolest thing ever that I loaded the drill with the skid loader instead mm-hmm. of like buckets. <laughs> he's like, I would buckets. never, I would have never thought about that. And I was like, oh, this is just <laughs> the easiest way for me because I'm really lazy. And so, uh, I drilled this 80 and it was raining, it was pouring, it was the first rain we got all year and, um, I drilled this 80 of oats in and, uh, it grew fabulous. It was in early. Uh, and we ended up, uh, they, those oats got about knee tall and we ended up cutting them and baling them on Thanksgiving. Mm. And that was the first time that I realized that there's more to just raising, uh, just corn or just soybeans on our landscape. So you can, you can raise oats in Iowa. We can raise oats in Iowa. Boom. Doubled it. it. Double you crop. You heard it. it here
1: first, folks. Yeah. Double crop in, the other way. In the other way. And what year was that? 2012. 2012. Okay, so that was your first eye-opening moment yep. to raising alternative crops for forage in yep. central Iowa. I want to know when you started, uh, so, so you talked about your background with, with Louis Dreyfus and as a green merchandiser. Uh, I believe part of everybody's journey in life is learning steps along the way that, that also then help you, you know, bigger later on in life. Okay, so you learned to trade grains and get pretty uh, nifty in, in terms of marketing grains, and then you, you got into buying and purchasing some off-grade materials.
2: How did that, or when did that then come into your cattle feeding operation? Yeah, so um, the beautiful thing about ruminants is they can eat everything. I mean, ruminants uh, eat from the highest quality forage or grain possible to uh, chicken litter. I mean, there are... Ruminants right now eating chicken litter as we speak somewhere, mostly know, in the Southeast. That's so, a great idea. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're not doing it. I'm you're not doing it. You're not prescribing it. it. No, it's not. It's just happening. I don't like yeah. to buy cattle that ate chicken litter. Uh, but uh, but right. the coolest thing about the ruminants is they can, they are the most adaptable uh, species, uh, subset of species to eat anything basically. Yeah. And so – uh, one eye-opening is we used to feed a lot of flour in bags, and uh, we fed um, flour in 50-pound bags. It was a great—it was a good opportunity to—it re- to, was, you know, pretty cheap. And we, re- we did a lot of flour, and uh, we figured out that the bags even had some value to those ruminants, too, as a scratch factor, as a roughage. So we actually feed bags with flour in them. So paper. that was kind of a fun thing we did. Paper bags. Paper bags. Yep. Paper bags. Ground up. Yep. Yeah, ground up paper bags. And so that's something fun we did. Um, uh, dumping paper bags off of pallets kind of got old. So we don't do that anymore.
1: One time I bought a, uh, a pallet of salt from you, James. Remember yep. that? Yeah. Like, hey, I got a little uh, present for you. Send sent me a pallet of off-grade salt from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Do you still have it? Or no. Did I, you use it all? I use it. Yeah. It's a pallet of salt. Okay, so... Uh, Let's get back to the grill on the the old yeah. okay? So you went off just a little bit there. But I think it's a pretty good example that you're open to anything, right? Yep. And your diverse background always kind of at least opened your eyes and then showed you that lots of opportunities were possible in the cattle industry. Talk about um, – some of the goals that you had when you got back to the operation, you started looking at different forage crops, but then really where where did you want to take the operation? Did you want to just continue the way it was, or did you have different aspirations for
2: the future of the feedlot? The way that that I saw it and, and still kind of see it in the f- cattle feeding sphere is um, you like it or not, uh, it's not necessarily a good thing, but in, in this environment, you have to like keep growing to be relevant in the business. And so one goal was to continue to grow and continue to grow so you have more leverage to sell your product and can be taken more seriously on your end product. And so we, were, we have been deliberately trying to grow. But however, we've been trying to grow without offlaying a lot of capital because one thing that can happen in the cattle business is you can have massive capital drawdowns. So you have to um, grow in a way that is a safe way to grow, if that makes sense.
1: So your, your idea for growth was not to put up a half-million-dollar slat barn and finish cattle? Yeah, correct. Yeah,
2: it was a, a low-capital growth mm. Right, and for any of our
0: our uh, listeners that are Twitter followers, they'll be familiar with the great uh, debate of uh, outdoor pens versus yeah. uh, barns <laughs> from a few months ago. Uh, and you chose neither path right now no, for expansion. I'm in, so tell I'm us in, about I'm where in your, both paths right where now. your expanded yards at. What they look like?
2: Well, Jared, I always like to be right, uh-huh. so <laughs> <laughs> I have cattle in a barn right now in a slatted barn. I have cattle in a uh, bed pack barn. I have cattle in a dirt pen and i have cattle run out on corn stocks. So mm-hmm. right now my performance in one mode is the best out of any any mode uh, today. Today is minus 5. It's a uh it's windy, flurries, not nice outside. Um, they even have the shades down <laughs> at the office because there's just no light to come in.
0: It's just so dreary outside. Yeah, we It's just so don't dreary. See it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, But, um, so, like, right now, I imagine my cattle are doing really good on that bedded beef barn. Like, they're really doing well. And so, I don't like to get in those debates on Twitter because they're really like a no-win situation. Because in some days, it is going to be best in a bedded barn. Um, We can debate and go back and forth on do the cost, you know, quantify the results, but um, you know, every different way of production has some advantages. Mm -hmm.
0: So tell me about, though, like your your feed yard on a cornfield right now today. What's that look like? How many head will you put up there? How do you keep them in? How do you sleep at night knowing they might bust through the the fence? Has it ever happened? Uh, Get into some of those details, those commonly asked questions.
2: Yeah, so I guess just for context, where we started going is – we were putting on a lot of cover crops, uh, on our own, uh, property, on our own farms, uh, something that we really believe in. And we would see those green cover crops in the fall and the spring. And we'd always say like, what a waste. Like those things are green. They look amazing. And have had something to eat though. And Mm -hmm. we got to terminate them. Absolutely. So it's like all this carbohydrates are just wasting out there. There's wasted carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of think of it as like opposite of humans. Like if there's Doritos to be had, those cattle need the Doritos, right? <laughs> you know? Oh, I've had a nickel
0: for every time I've heard that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. I have a nickel. So
2: so um, Doritos does not sponsor this podcast. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> All right. Uh, if Actually, Matthew McConaughey, I think he'd be a really good uh, oh, podcast. So too. Because he did you see the commercial on Doritos? Yeah. He just had the Doritos commercial. Yeah. And he has cattle. Hereford's. Horned Hereford's. He's got a super sexy voice. Oh, yeah. 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 Beef. Yeah. Can no, he's in beef ads. Oh, yeah. You should reach out. Okay. Hey Courtney, I'm sure he's hey, Courtney right yeah, I'm I'm not even charged charge of the podcast and I'm, already, I'm already asking the, right. the producer to reach out to Matthew.
0: Let us know if you hear back from him before we get done let us know would you. Okay, yeah. thanks. Yep. Okay.
1: He might call in. Matthew, if you hear this, you can call in right now. Phone <laughs> yeah, lines are open.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Where were we before Doritos? Uh, you're talking about the, oh. the cover crops oh, looking yeah, yeah. like Doritos in your mind, thinking they're going to waste.
2: Yes. Okay. Um, just pick it up and eat it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's all these carbohydrates out there, and like, they just need to be consumed. And so it was like, really disappointing that we didn't have any fence. Like Iowa doesn't have any fence anymore. Basically, all the fence in Iowa was built in the 50s, yeah, And it's still there, but it's defunct, right? Right. So um, we bought a semi-load of posts out of Kentucky, and we just started building fence. We have a couple farms that we have fence around them, barbed wire fence, all wood posts. Sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, six barbs.
0: No high tensile, no hot wire, just all barb.
2: No hot wire. Okay. No... No high tensile. Again, that finding shorts, I think, would suck. Electric fence is pretty popular in Iowa. That's mm-hmm. like a thing. Um, I don't really understand the Iowa farmers who are grazing cows out on corn stalks with electric fence when they got to go and put all the electric fence in because that seems like a lot of work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would totally disagree. Well, really? really? Yeah.
0: Easy. When, uh, when we rent corn stalks from neighbors and stuff, if it has a fence, we wish it didn't. It's just a way to short the hot wire. Yeah. Though. Even a Iowa good
2: fence, did. like a good perimeter yeah, fence, they, they, they,
0: they don't exist. No. Yeah. Not if they're on a the crop field. Right. I mean, if you put it in Shot. you owned it, it would be fine. But if you're renting corn stocks from a neighbor, sure. they're not going to maintain that. Uh, actually, some of those are maintained in IYC, but not not in South Dakota. So the existing fence is just a way to sort out your fence that you put in. Hey, you know, I got a question.
1: Yeah. Fencing. Yeah. So on that, okay, you put in a six-strand bar wire Six-strand barbed bar yep. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Did you do any uh, NRCS funding practices or anything like
2: that? Anyone? I didn't, okay.
0: but I, uh, looking back, I wish I would yeah. have. Um, well, I think in our conversations, you know, six, seven years ago, I don't think either of us understood the opportunities that existed no. there. Okay.
2: No, we, just, we were
0: just getting into it.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's probably one of my biggest regrets on farming is not looking into those practices before I just went in yeah. all in. You know, I just wanted to just rip the Band-Aid off and go, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't have time to wait around for the government to figure this stuff out. So I just went. But um, looking back, I wish I would have had a, a little bit more planning and would have done that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So you got the cow, you're, you're yep. bringing your yearlings out there. Yep. What are you doing for a bunk line?
2: Yeah. So every one of our, so we have the barbed wire fence around it. it costs about $10,000 to fence around a 160 roughly. That's if, you know, that's just rough math. Mm-hmm. We have the fence. We make a small, uh, cement area where we have fence line bunks. We kind of position it in a place that has natural drainage, which in Iowa, like the topography is like, you know, like a small knoll, like a mm. one and a half foot, uh, increase in topography in Iowa. It's actually more than that, but, <laughs> but, um, pretty flat and black, obviously. And so we put fence line bunks in, uh, both of the places that we've had have had, uh, we've been able to tie into a water source without having to dig a well. But there is our there is NRCS um, cost share for digging wells, and so that's one thing that you could look into. And um, we fence around the farm and put up bunks. We also make a small pen on where the bunks are at, uh, just so we can get the. Cattle in when nice they need to. kitchen area to catch. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. We have like a fifteen foot apron, which is about about half uh, the industry norm size mm. width, and uh, just feed them twice a day out there. And so, what we find is they. Well, let, let me back up, and so we we place cattle in there that are um, after we've harvested our crop. We're harvesting. High moisture corn, earlage, silage, those things. So we're not having to wait really long. And then we put a calf in there, a, a yearling in there that can be sold before it gets muddy. And so we'll want to get them out by the 15th of March, um, at least by the 15th of March. And so uh, we'll- You
1: said you when, when are you bringing them in? In November? Uh, uh, end
2: of September. End of October. September. Okay. Yep. So it's dry though and- you're, It's dry. You're, okay. Yep. And how many head are you putting on a quarter at a time? Yeah, we're putting about 400 head mm. on a quarter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So whatever that stocking rate is. Yeah. About a quarter acre. Wow. Plenty of space. Awesome. Fifteen thousand square feet. Fifteen thousand square feet.
0: So what's the square footage in a slotted cattle barn?
2: Uh, about thirty-five. Yeah. It so seems like a nice
0: optic. I don't eight. know if anybody's paying you for that yet, but that seems like a preferable optic to. Some of the alternative.
2: If anyone wants to write me a $15 million check on this podcast, uh, <laughs> please reach out to Courtney, the producer, and she will direct payment to me. Yeah, She'll get a cut out of that. She'll take 10%. <laughs> but, yeah, it is a nice optic. Uh, so we put cattle out there in the fall and feed them, and it's really that simple. Mm. It's really that simple. Okay, what, what are some of the mar- marketing advantages to doing that? Yeah, so I have um, been trying to be a student of the markets to understand how to make money in the cattle business, which has not been uh, easy. And the key is to have cattle for sale. Okay, this is my cattle philosophy, but to to place cattle in the time period that has the best chance of having a rally. Mm. That seems really simple. It seems like a simple thing to do. Why wouldn't you want to place cattle in a time frame that uh, has doesn't want that, you know, the market is gonna go up the right. highest percentage. But if you know the life cycle of cattle, that's really not easy. Mm-hmm. And, and go through those months. Spell it out. Yeah, basically um, late winter, early spring is when the nine times out of ten is when the high is made in the cattle market. Uh, the low is made in July and August typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, July through October. Yeah. Yeah. So is it, if you're in central Iowa
1: and you're trying to source, uh, what weight calves are you bringing in? 800 pounders? Yeah.
2: Yeah. 800 pound cattle. Yeah. Are
1: are you finding them in the upper Midwest at that time? Are they all sold? Where are you going for calves? Yeah.
2: So we had to go East. Uh, That's the place that has uh, the set of cattle that, that we need in those marketing periods. Uh, Because the West is so good, The Western producers are such good producers Mm. that they are having their cattle are uh, calved in a very short period of time. And they just don't really work into our system because we need them all out in February or March. Mm. And so we're primarily buying um, Eastern origin cattle. So you'll get those out of there. So you'll have this
0: during this time frame um, during... March, April, May, you'll probably have less cattle around than normal, right? That's when your busy season is for planting and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. So we'll have, uh, we'll be on, that is our low, our, that time frame, And then again, in like the midsummer, okay. we'd have the lowest amount of cattle okay. around. So like right now, f- February would be like high peak inventory. Okay. So you also did something on crop land in Iowa
0: that is almost unheard of. You yeah. planted Iowa crop ground back to grass, initially not enrolled in any program for payment, correct?
2: No payments. Putting up fences. No, actually, actually, out. I will even take it back. Okay. It was half CRP, half corn. Ah. I bought out of the CRP payment to put it into grass. That's
0: not common. Okay. So tell us what was your, what's that look like? Give us a visual. How many acres is it? How is it set up? Uh, what was your vision and did it work out?
2: Yeah, so, okay, so this all ties into this corn stock thing because it really is okay. all just life, the life cycle of of cattle and life cycle of my marketing plan. Um, when I purchased this farm, I made this um, uh, spreadsheet, and every time I purchase a farm, I make a spreadsheet, and it says, Megan, let's buy a farm. That's the name of the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> like, it has to be that name. Megan is James's wife. Yeah, that's my wife. Yes. It's Megan, let's buy a farm. And it really isn't... Um, she knows that I'm going to probably buy the farm anyway, whether she approves (laughs) of the spreadsheet or not. But um, I made this spreadsheet uh, initially on this farm and, and um, it was basically the whole reason for buying the farm was to sell cattle in March. Like that was the end goal of buying the farm, which is a strange way to think about buying a farm, but uh, you get, so what the goal was, was purchase uh, a five to six weight eastern calf in the low time period of the market complex, July, August, June, July, August, which is also a higher period of available forage in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And um, sell that steer or heifer in the spring to hit the high of the market.
0: Hmm.
2: Basically, buy low, sell high.
0: Essentially,
2: that was the goal. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? That's
0: great advice. Thanks, James. Uh,
2: And so uh, that was the initial reason for buying the farm. We had nothing. uh, The farm was just a vehicle to get a steer to market at the most economical time period purchasing. Okay. Okay. So if you base that around the steer, if you, if any of the listeners uh, know anything about Eastern steers, you know, or or heifers or whatever they are, you know, there's, um, they have a, they
0: have a, a reputation, undeserved reputation.
2: Yes. They have a reputation that is, um, yeah, like, yeah. you know, Eastern cattle would be like the Oakland Raiders uh, of the business. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a rough not, not savory Raiders. Yes. Yeah. Not savory. I mean, they aren't like my chiefs that are like upstanding citizens, you know. Okay. So yeah. what's wrong with them? So they have a reputation of having higher death loss, uh, yeah. have a reputation of being not as good quality, have a reputation of uh, lower rate of gains.
1: The and that's probably and because on. there's a lot of co-mingled groups coming together yep. and you're buying them from a trader and then you're putting these back into Iowa, and in the upper Midwest, and you got to try to figure out how to keep these things healthy. Yep. Right. Absolutely. But
2: this works pretty good if you've got grabs- a lot of space. And if you have a lot of, if you have some grass, nice, yep. healthy green grass. So, again, we did not talk to the NRCS office. Mistake, but. Yeah, there's a few things you could have done there. Yeah, <laughs> a few things. We should uh, do
1: that. We should do a podcast on that. We should. That's to come. Yep. On oh, just tuned. talking to the NRCS. Office. Uh, well, a, I think just, uh, you know, program opportunities. Yeah. We're
0: doing a workshop in a few if, weeks in submit After that, we'll yeah. get somebody on and kind of recap that.
2: Yeah, so we took this, um, uh, took this property. Uh, who, who has this podcast? Like, what is the podcast of? What's it called? R- roots, roots and, roots and, and ruminants. ruminants. Roots Roots and ruminants. ruminants, yeah. And sponsored by any company, just you guys?
0: Well, Millborn Seeds. Millborn based Seeds, Based on okay. working South Dakota. Okay, so the entire nation.
2: All right, yeah. So, all right. So, uh, Millborn, I, I talked to Justin. I said, Justin, I was like, I'm going to convert this thing. And he's like, let's try annuals, annual uh, forages. Let's yep. see if that works. And uh, this isn't a recommendation. It did not work for me. So we put on annuals and it did not work good for me. Probably because I had too high of stocking rate. Stock okay. so, we, so, we, so we took this farm and we put waters in it. We div- divided it into 20, not even, 15 acre paddocks. And the whole goal was to keep Easterns as healthy as possible. Mm -hmm. That's the whole goal of the whole property is to straighten out cattle. And so uh, we started with annuals because, you know, you got to try the water before you jump in. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty bold, but even that was pretty out there. So it's like, you know, if this thing is a failure and... My dad did think I was completely crazy, by I the way. He did. And so he's like, you are not doing perennials. Yeah. You're doing annuals. Then at least I can spray it out and raise soybeans, yeah. right? like We're only down like $30 an acre here.
0: Annual forages are like a gateway drug. It perennials is a gateway are the real thing. Yeah. You're committed. Yeah, you're yeah.
2: Committed. Perennials are like meth. Like you, like once you try it, <laughs> like you're addicted and you can't get off of it. No one's have ever, no one's has ever tried perennial once and not oh, stayed yeah. on it. Right. Like they're on perennials. Yeah.
0: Then. The people who are into perennials are definitely junkies. <laughs> cool. I mean, we all know them, right? I mean, the people that are like into grass-based, if you're grass-based, you're hardcore.
2: Yeah. And and you can't go back to that. Like you can't go back and be like, I'm gonna go to perennials. Well, and now I'm going to like mobile plow. No. Like, <laughs> like you can't <laughs> no. go from one to the other. No, It'll wreck you. Yeah. yeah. So we took the CRP and, uh, we bought out of the contract. <clears throat> it was like three years in, it wasn't a great contract anyway. So I wanted that out of it. And, um, we, uh, seeded down to perennials and, um, we mostly, uh, used, uh, just some basic, uh, perennials that are common in Iowa. We used endophyte free fescue, orchard, Timothy, um, some perennial ryegrass uh, Just some basic stuff uh, We also put clover in it uh, Clover is pretty common in uh, Southern Iowa, northern Missouri is, you know, In pastures And um, one thing I didn't um, So we, we seeded it all down to perennials One thing I didn't realize is Because this property hadn't really been Taken care of and it had CRP in it It also had a lot of Weed problems so we had to really like, it took a couple of years to kind of take care of those weed problems. Yeah. Um, and so then we've, we're actually going back and uh, doing red clover and some of the um, clovers and, and uh, forbs mm-hmm. into that again. But we, um, we basically just straighten out cattle on that property and they're there for around 60 days and they get straightened out and then they move on down the road. Move on down the road to a feed yard. So You're
1: bringing them in from the southeast, you stick them in this pasture. You're yep. still feeding them out there. Good opportunity to get them started. Yep, right. Feed them just a little bit. Okay. Getting them bunk, bro. What are you? Wh- how many are you treating? What's what does that look like? If you have to treat and you've got them on a, what do you have them on a quarter of grass there two? or what is that like? Oh exercise, yeah, so we have like um, stocking rate there. Hmm.
2: Stocking rate all depends on what's going on. Thing I love about stalkers is they're really. Um, Flexible, but let me let me back up a little bit. So the reason why it's important to start load lots uh, on this grass is when you go into a building, they aren't one load buildings. Uh, they're all like four or five load buildings. And so when you go into a building, you have to have essentially three or four loads of straightened out cattle before you start that is pretty difficult in the realm of Easterns because they don't trade in more than one-load lots because they're all really small producers. So you have to make your own yearlings, essentially. And so we're just a glorified backgrounder with a lot of room. And so what was your question again? Or you well, I was just forgetting? wondering about the size of the... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So then the the whole scope of the property... It started with 200 acres we bought actually some more to add on it now it's about 360 acres mm-hmm. in the spring we will graze um, we've gotten as high on a good spring with lots of rain six to one uh six stockers to an acre so we'll have 1200 uh, plus uh, on that 200 acres and then like this last fall we were down to like a half to one mm-hmm. so we match stocking rates with grass availability. Tell me about, uh, so to play off Justin's question,
0: how did that affect your use of antibiotics, uh, use of crumbles, um, vaccination? What was the health look like comparative to when you put those same type of cattle instead of your system that you're talking about into a yard right away into a close contact dirt yard?
2: Yeah. So, um, my dad, who was the, you know, uh um, maybe not believer of this, after the first year or two, he's like, oh, wow, this this is working. Mm. He's a huge believer. Like he says, um, the grass is the best antibiotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like no question that the grass keeps cattle healthier. It keeps cattle. Um, Somebody
1: write that down. Do you write that down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. uh, it's already trademarked. It's already trade-marked. <laughs> right. I'll
2: be selling hats later with that on. The grass <laughs> is the best antibiotic. I love it. It's, it's, it's really easy to, to see sick animals in that, in mm. that um, system. I think there was a study I read out of Texas A&M, Kansas State or something, and it had um, a whole pen full of like, near-death cattle in a feed yard. Mm. Just looked like hell, heads drooping low, like as near to death as they could get. And they placed people up. Uh, to observe those cattle all night, and they wanted to see what would happen when the flaker turns on in the morning and the tractor turns on. Like, what would ha- Like, how visually do those cattle that are like nearing the end of their life react to human intervention? Essentially, and those things are all near to death. And then, those, as as soon as they hear the tractor start up, like their ears perk. They visually look healthier. And so in the feed yard setting, those animals who are sick and nearing their, the end of their life, instinct is saying that they are uh, the most vulnerable uh, of the herd. And so they need to act like they aren't sick, essentially, mm. because, you know, mm. they're the ones that are going to get eaten first right? because they're the weak link,
0: right? So they're trying to blend, in, the, blend, in. For it. blend yeah. in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So on the feed yard, it's really hard to see sick cattle. I mean, everyone claims that they can be good at seeing these sick cattle. But typically when we actually see them, like they're way past the point of... Where you should have found them. where you should have found them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you missed them. And so on the grass, um, it's probably no different than that, except... Those cattle, because there's such long distances to get to the bunk and long distances to for them to come up, it's harder for them to blend in. You can really see the cattle um, easier on the health end of it, because if they don't come in or if they, you know, aren't interested in feed or water, um, they are not, you know, they're not healthy. And so part of it's just a mechanism. To pull cattle, which makes it a lot, a lot easier, too. Yeah, but then how
1: the heck do you pull cattle on a 320-acre pasture?
2: Yes. Well, um, I have my Air Jays on right now and my Seacorn cap, so obviously I can't ride a horse. <laughs> I mean, in the West, I mean, they've been doing this on wheat pasture forever. Yeah. That, you know, they get the cowboys and they rope them and they, I mean, they're like, you know, tough as hell. Roll your own cigarettes, one-handed on horseback, right? A Corley? That's yeah. what that's called. Yeah. Roll Yourself a corley. <laughs> is that what it's called?
0: It sings it in a song, right? I who does? Maybe. Somebody does? Oh, yeah. Oh.
2: I learned. Um, Courtney, you want to check on that? Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: nice. Is there a YouTube yeah. video? Actually, we do need one YouTube it's, video. It's yeah. Marty
0: Robbins. Marty Robbins does that. Okay. So I didn't know that.
2: I learned all my, all my cowboy quotes from a dear friend. His name is Britton Blair. Britton Blair. He and knows Marty and Robbins. Oh yeah! Oh, he knows. He he, you know, if you ask Britton, he wrote those songs. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We need a John Wayne no. YouTube quote that there ain't no Sundays west of Omaha. That is from the Cowboys. <laughs> that is a Britton Blair quote <laughs> that he always likes to tell me on Sundays because, of course, I'm like sitting drinking coffee, hanging out with my kids, and Britton's like, "Oh, I'm just working, <laughs> <Yeah>. feeding cows, <laughs> background stuff." Have we heard anything from Matthew
0: McConaughey yet? <laughs> Not yet. Okay.
2: All right. I checking. I have no idea where I oh how how do I treat those? Yeah, dart gun. Oh yeah. <laughs> <a dart> gun. <laughs>
0: that was the answer to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but
2: I can treat a calf one handed with a ranger with a dart gun.
0: Is it a dart gun or is it more of like a dart stick?
2: Dart gun. I can't get close enough. Spear. We are talking easterns here. Okay. Some of them might be mm-hmm. on the Florida Georgia line. Okay.
1: Uh, is that the same thing you're doing? Okay, let's say you have to. Okay, we know you can treat them, you got a darken. Yeah, what if you got to pull one?
2: Yeah, so we just uh, we're able to get them out essentially. Uh,
1: yeah. Are these things getting more wild in bigger spaces? Are they actually cooler and calmer? What
2: uh, they get more independent in bigger spaces. Mm. Okay. That's a nice way to say wild. Oh, so they are. So, they, yes, <laughs> probably. Okay, okay, so, a yes. I'd say just more ornery. Yeah. Okay. I would say they're more. Um, kind of like wild, too. They're, they're more uh, cognizant of their surroundings.
1: <laughs> like they
2: know they can get past you. Right. They know they can get past you. So getting them in is a little bit of a chore, but, you know, there's some definitely some F bombs. So you're
1: you using. <laughs> oh, you talked about using a kitchen and your, and your, on your corn stalks there by your bunks. Or, you know, well, both ways. Both ways. Both ways. Same on the pasture. Yeah, same on the That's pasture. how you're moving stuff. Yeah, we have. Because yeah, you're moving traps. them
2: 60 days. That's yeah.
1: not too long that they've yeah, been but on the grass. And within then they're the 60 up.
2: days, we're moving them amongst different pastures. So okay. in the pastures, they get pretty used to getting moved in amongst the pastures. Okay. Um, and it's usually not a problem getting them in in that time frame. Uh, the time frame that they have more problems is uh, in the corn stalks. Yeah. Like they don't want to come in. Mm. Well, well, they're cool. bigger too and they've been and out big. there for what yeah, 7 acres. months. Yeah. They don't want to meet their maker. Yeah. Not then. They're yeah. not ready. They're 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 just loving life. I think it's cold enough maybe. Yeah, not even then. They huh. they it was negative uh it was negative 5 Tuesday and they were all laying out.
0: Huh.
2: I mean, so the so then so they so, so they go to the pasture and then they go to the corn stalks. And then they go to the packing plant. You know, those cattle, um, Howard Buffett says winning the ovarian lottery. That's what, I mean, if you ever read his book, mm-hmm. he wins yeah. the ovarian lottery. Um, Snowball. Those cattle like win the ovarian lottery because they get, they get to hang out in the winter mm-hmm. in the southeast. It's warm. Mm-hmm. They get to hang out in Iowa in June. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, they kind of have a you know a tougher life in the corn stocks, but it's still all the open range that they could want mm-hmm. compared to like ninety-nine point nine percent of the beef cattle in the United States. And they have all the room in the world and
0: ninety-nine percent of the beef cattle in that last finishing phase. In that right, last right, finishing right, right, phase, right. yes. In that last uh fifteen to twenty percent of their life cycle that's yeah. in a feed yard. Yeah, yeah. They
2: so they really are the winners. And so uh, The really cool thing about it on practically on our end of it is a couple of benefits we have is they, we don't need to haul their manure on the corn stalks because they do it for us. Um, They also haul manure to the top of the hill because that's where they typically hang out, which is where you need the manure. Mm
0: -hmm. Bedding and scratch are kind of out there.
2: Yeah, they don't require any bedding, they don't get dirty. They don't have any tag. That's oh, uh, the feet and legs. Nearly no feet and leg problems. Oh man, like yeah. one yeah. thing you see in a lot like the slatted that. buildings is feet sure. and leg problems. There's no feet and leg problems. Hmm. Um, we we I was talking to Justin this this last year. We did we 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 are having this one problem on this one group of cattle that are in corn stocks. Is they're so comfortable out on the corn stocks that they don't come in and eat. <laughs> they like don't want to eat. Which is like actually a problem, right? Because yeah. they need to gain weight, but they're so comfortable out there. It's like, ah, oh God, I wish I could swear yeah, right now. I'll eat tomorrow, no. uh, but I can't. He already said hell. Yeah, I'm not even sure that's allowed. Yeah, exactly. But I guess maybe they say oh, and then like I'll just stay out here and hang out, you know, and they won't go in. Yeah. Huh. So do you get calves going off feed then? Yeah. Uh, once in a while, this is the first time it's happened. Is it more when it's warm or more when it's cold? Or does that not dictate it? I don't think it really matters. Okay, Yeah. Um, when the weather does get worse, typically they stay closer in. than when the weather's nice, they go out. Sure. Um, what do you do...
1: What- so today we talked about temperatures below zero and we got some gusty winds. Mm. Are they crunched up in an area where you have some shelter? Are you providing any windbreak shelter? Yeah, for so them? we
2: have, yeah, we have, we have, we have windbreaks and, um, you know, we've really tried to be super, super innovative with our windbreaks and, um, we use these portable windbreaks called corn stalks <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, corn stalks, um, are really the edible underwear of the cattle feeding business <laughs> the because they provide so many, so many different resources. So they,
0: I, I think there's only maybe two resources for edible. underwear. So, okay. It's underwear. And so food. many.
2: Okay. So <laughs> edible underwear provides. Well, no, <laughs> nutrition. Let's, just, let's talk about the corn stocks. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about the corn stocks. Okay. I would like to compare these two. All right. All right. All right. The corn stocks, Um, we move them when we either bed or feed, we also feed corn stalks. So, you know, the corn stalks are being fed for nutrition. They're being a windbreak and they're bedding. And so like, they're all three, their comfort, their support and their nutrition. I didn't know how that was going to come together. Went a lot better than I thought. See, it's actually a great analogy. It It is. And so, uh, we have the corn stalks as our windbreak. As uh so that's the windbreak. Um, what else?
1: That's oh, I know. What about these days when we get up to forty? And you mm-hmm. probably do
2: that more than what we
1: do up here. In yeah, the yeah. Midwest. But yeah, are you melting snow? Are you getting uh, surface compaction? Then
2: yeah, what I mean, so we have some surface compaction, especially where like the high traffic areas going into uh, the pens. Is so coming up to your concrete apron, where going you're up the you're concrete apron, yeah. and uh, around the edges of the field. But we're typically trying to get them out early enough. We we do have maybe some small mud problems right in the spring last year, especially because it was it was uh, it was warm early, and it was warm earlier than than the years past. And so we had we had a little bit of mud problems then. But by and large, we don't have any mud problems. And uh, you know the compaction issues, like we haven't seen anything. We run on our farm pretty small equipment, and so we don't have a lot of compactions on that. And then there's been some studies with practical farmers of Iowa and and others that, you know, even small ruminants don't even have or, or even ruminants don't, those hoofs really don't have as that much compaction. It's mostly just surface compaction the first inch or two. So like we haven't we haven't seen any problems.
1: You also you also did have cover crops on that. But right? we had cover crops right. on them. Yep. your silage came off. Yep. Cover crops. Cover crop on, come on. Start grazing them. Yep. In the fall. So you got a little bit of a root mass to help you we out. We do have Mary, maybe, maybe do some, uh, you know, give you some carrying capacity yeah. that way. Do you yeah.
2: think it does or what's, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely helps. Uh, that's another drawdown is when you first put them out, you, it's hard to get them on feed because they're just yeah, eating sure. corn stalks, eating cover, cover crops, crops, eating the green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like, we like to put, uh, turnips out there. We always put turnips with our cover crop reason rye, but we always put turnips with it and, um, they eat the tops of the turnips and they pop them out and eat the bulbs um, hmm. they don't, uh, last very long because we got so many out there that just kind of devour them. Yeah. Like they just don't have much time. I mean, it's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, buy one, get one free blizzards. Right. You like, you <laughs> just like get, you know, you just get after it. And so, uh, the old bogos, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so, um, another thing is, uh, one way that, how to successfully raise corn on corn in Iowa is uh, I don't know. We're up here in South Dakota up in the in the Northland, but one one thing to be successful raising corn on corn, you have to get all your trash off of your farm, yep. right? And so what we do with these cattle <clears throat> is the cattle eat the trash and then um, uh, poop it out. Right. <laughs> right? I was going to say upcycle it. Upcycle yes. it. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah, you're you're just so much fancier than I am, Jared. Yeah. You know, it's the I don't know if anyone knows year. this, but I am looking at Jared right now. He's wearing flannel and he has a brand new um uh jacket vest. He just recently put oil in his beard. I mean, he oh. he's definitely a guy that is talks up cycling instead yes. of instead of I pooping. They drink, drink tea now instead of coffee. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Things are really going my way.
2: But, yeah, but only like, you know, specialty teas, free trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very Best. earthy teas. Yeah. Yeah. Green, herbal, non-caffeinated. So, so that's actually a really cool thing about the corn stalks. Um, but the coolest thing, uh, this is the coolest thing of whole thing, is last year, my, where I feed my cattle, Iowa State says it, appreciated like 2 to 3% because it's land. Right. Right? It's an appreciating feedlot. Hmm. Yeah, you don't get
0: any depreciation
2: Mm -hmm. off of your feed yard. Actually, you do because you can depreciate the fence. That's true. Uh Yeah.
1: Okay, so let's go back. You said you had calves in a slatted barn, calves in a bed bag. Yep. And you got calves on corn Finish. finishing. Compare them all in terms of
2: cost of gain, average daily gains, how they're doing when you take them to the rail everyone is different in its own way um, the barns are definitely more consistent in their cost of gains and rate of gains they are more predictable however what we found on these corn stocks is they're typically our top 10 percent um, rate of gain and cost to gain mm. closeouts and I think it's all just because the cattle are just healthier, spread out, um, uh, more environmentally raised. Like I don't know how to explain it. Like they're more in sync with nature. I mean, in sync the more with you nature. Yeah.
0: Without the less disease pressure, less parasite pressure, all those kind of things. You
2: you mitigate those with space.
0: Always, Absolutely. Right. Dilution.
2: Well, like we're in the middle of pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Social distance. Um, you know, we're in a room that's you know huge but uh it's it's no different right it's no different than that right we yep. just spread as, ourselves out and so as especially okay. when you have a southeastern coming in yeah definitely and, spread i mean them out from us. they're super spreaders right <laughs> like every one of them is a super spreader you know they haven't been pi tested they you That's know true. i mean they are oh i was talking like about you as tongue. a southeastern to us blue oh jobs. yeah
0: calves yeah Glucosis, anaplasmosis. There's a lot of things that stop about this lineup here. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. That we don't have
0: that we can bring in from the south. Yeah. I think the system has allowed you to be more creative. Yeah. It's allowed you to expand uh, without having to use a lot of borrowed capital. It's reduced costs, if anything. It's given mm-hmm. you an opportunity to cash flow uh, a land purchase. Yeah. by doing the exact opposite of what 99.9% of people would have told you to do yep
2: right and then and and like we always say the corn crop is just an added bonus right yeah we already got we already made the mortgage payment with cattle mm-hmm. just on the yardage we made the mortgage payment on the cattle so whatever we get for the corn crops that's just a, like a little bonus what uh, we got just a few minutes left here. James,
0: is there something that you wanted to talk with us about? Any Anything that – what do you see in the horizon? What, what's your next step? What's something you've been bantering around with um, that you're going to take a crack at in the next year or two?
2: Yeah, I think – so something that I've been thinking about, I've been I've thought about for a few years now, is um, sustainably raised beef. Mm. And uh, a lot of people are attacking beef for um, – how much they fart, CO2 presence. Courtney, I can say fart on this podcast, right? <laughs> that <laughs> is one of the F
0: words that you can okay.
2: say. <laughs> All right. So, uh, but I think, um, I think ruminants uh, are going to play a vital role to sequester carbon. And I also think they're, you know, going to make a role of making the whole United States more sustainable, and so you know, one thing which is probably more lofty than 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 me, but um, having sustainably raised beef that has um, you know, cover crops before their corn uh, has a lot of space uh, that are on you know grass as long as possible, and um, I think I think that the American consumer will value that. And I think that they will, um, you know, pay for something like that. And for that values, I, I feel like those values are going to be pretty hard to um, knock, essentially. Right. It's, it's, it's hard to put holes in, in those, those, those values. And so, you know, that's something that I think in 10 years, more people will be talking about. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, I think what you're doing there is, is this whole system approach to getting the product to the consumer in what you say is a sustainable way, right? And there's pieces within agriculture that are doing this and and branding and marketing programs will then help tell that story. But when you can put that all together on one operation and then tell that story and then hopefully market it that way, and you you should uh, be rewarded with a a premium because you're raising a premium
2: product. And it's the way consumers want it to be raised. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you go out, even when it was minus five, Uh, I was talking to Justin on the phone when he asked me to be on this podcast and I was checking the cattle out on the corn stocks and, and what did I tell you, Justin, that it was minus five and I told you what? They all look like they were what? They're all all, spread out. They're all spread out and laid down. They look like they were dead because they're so comfortable. Oh, They're just like laying out there. There's like not a care in the world. It's minus five in Iowa and like, they're just hanging out sunbathing, like, you know, It's like a May day in Brookings, you know, out there, essentially. I remember those. (laughs) I remember those.
0: That's awesome. I think you're right. I think there's opportunities for that in the future. One of the things, uh, as we look to future guests and other types of topics on this podcast, we're going to be talking with lots of different individuals raising different kinds of livestock in different ways. Uh, We were thinking about you know, what is a way to get the feed yard sector represented in our podcast? And we thought, what better way to talk about to kick off our podcast program than talk about a cover crop field as the feed yard and and some of the things that James is done. Uh, James, you once described yourself to me as quite possibly one of the larger stocker programs in Iowa, um, which is probably a very short list of soccer programs in Iowa, north of I-80. Yep. Correct? Yep. Yep. I think what you've done there, uh, planting, you know, the 300 acres, you know, back into working grasslands and using it to uh, help straighten out cattle, uh, reduce antibiotic usage, increase performance uh, is innovative. And I hope it becomes a model for other
2: people. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, I mean, people are paying attention. My uh, dad, who didn't think it was possible, converted 30 acres of 90 CSR land into grass two years ago. So, hmm. even more is happening. Yeah, I think uh, more will continue to happen too, as the landscape of the state changes. What is the GSR, the grass
0: suitability yeah. rating on that ground? I have no, no idea. No one talks about that as much
2: <laughs> in Iowa. No, and I don't think anyone's going to probably be talking about that in, for a while. But mm-hmm. you know, there is a uh, growing, there's a growing movement of you know converting back into grasslands. Uh, converting into really regenerative practices mm-hmm. I'm probably obviously people could poke all kinds of holes into my system as maybe not regenerative enough if I claim to be a regenerative farmer but for us it's a very scalable um, system yeah that's really working
1: scalable profitable yeah still practical
2: mm-hmm. absolutely and Got really the, the cost is just building that fence mm-hmm. yeah
1: it's good stuff well James I, I this is this is awesome uh, certainly glad that you're able to be our first podcast addition to uh, Roots and Ruminants and uh, man we're gonna this is fun this is just the start of it guys so uh, thanks for listening thanks for tuning in and uh, stay tuned as we're gonna bring you more episodes just like this as we, as we go forward throughout the year
0: till next time
1: it's Roots and Ruminants